Hello everyone, my name's Ed. Welcome to What Do You Do? It's a podcast in which I talk to someone and ask them about what they do. Not very complicated, but hopefully interesting. It's a chance to learn a little bit about what other people get up to. This episode, I'm talking to Rhiannon, who works in comms. As always, I don't really have anything to say at the beginning of the episode. We'll talk again after the interview itself. So I'm looking forward to my next talk, but uh, tell me, who are you and what do you do? Hello, I'm Rhiannon and I work in communications. What does that involve? You've got to help me out. I don't know, <laughs> I don't know anything um, about it. Lots of things, lots of things. Well, it's it's a bit of social media, bit of PR, bit of marketing. Yeah, lots and lots of different things. Um, but my sort of specialism is like culture arts heritage and i managed to get a little bit of science in there in a previous job as well or previous two jobs which is quite fun but basically it's sort of communicating or like publicizing stuff that's going on with the institution that i work for or organization and just making it fun and trying to get it in the papers or yeah just making it easy for people to digest who might not understand it basically putting things into like layman's terms and just hoping that it's interesting. So is this the kind of job that larger institutions have or is this also the kind of things that small places want? I think there's there's a degree of it in most institutions now. It's like super important just to get that message out there for what you do. So it's like if there was like a volunteer, like sort of a community group or whatever, then quite often, you know, one of the volunteers will have the role of doing some comms or communications of sorts so so yeah it depends on the size of the organization and how sort of dedicated you are to one sort of specific part of it or maybe how much of your role is dedicated to like communications because like you'll sometimes find that there'll be sort of communications and fundraising or something along those lines um yeah so then does communications cut across lots of different departments? I mean, you talked a little bit about marketing and sort of PR and it's got aspects mm-hmm. of those in it. But is it that you are supplanting that or are you working with them? Do you sit separately from them? I say I, I'm in the comms team and in all the jobs that I've ever worked in, I've been in the comms team. Although once when I worked for a PR agency, we were all the comms team because that's essentially all we did. So for me right now, we have like a specific, in the organization I work for now, it's a dedicated team and we we have different messages. And then I am a regional member of that team. So I, because we're a UK wide organization, uh, then I specifically focus on the goings on in the north of England, because that's where I live. So rather than focusing on the skills, what I'd like to ask to begin with is what aspects of your personality do you think lend themselves well to a comms role? Mm, I'm nosy like super nosy so I always <laughs> want to know what's going on so that's always quite a good one because then you can sort of get to the bottom of what's going on and then you can find out the interesting like juicy bits whether or not they should be communicated widely or or not so that's that's one thing and also I think just being able to sort of I'm not doing a very good job, job of it speaking to you but being able to sort of communicate things like succinctly and uh, just in a sort of simple manner 
and just being able to sort of sniff out a story so in a in a sense you're a little bit like a journalist like in an in-house journalist where you're looking for a story but you're looking for the story to give the journalist sometimes if that makes sense so you're sort of the conduit between an organization and the journalists at a newspaper or a magazine or a website like this is specifically PR related because that's that's my main sort of forte I would say so do you go into things uh first and foremost from the point of view of well what can I push or is it more that you sort of have a sensitivity to well if this interests me I can get other people interested in it well it's a bit of both so it sort of depends what organization you're working for so for me in the past like so really really simple kind of thing is when I worked at a museum you would have specific exhibitions or specific messages that you wanted to sort of tell people you'd want so if you wanted someone to go to your exhibition you try and find something that was like really interesting about that particular topic that would draw people in to then go to the exhibition so it's sort of it's it's sort of twofold like you've got like a sort of business objective in that you need to increase footfall but in order to do that you need to find something that's interesting to talk about and has the work changed uh, since you've been in the job i mean is this a rapidly changing field or is this the kind of thing where there are some good underlying principles and you think that they will stand you good stead yeah, there's, well, there's a bit of both. So, like, definitely, like, you know, just being able to, like, write a good press release, you know, do some good copywriting, that'll stand me in good stead for lots of things. And just being able to be personable, like, chat to people, that's always going to stand me in good stead for a comms role, but also probably a lot of other roles as well, if you wanted to, like, jump ship to another department. But the media landscape's changing all the time. Um, You know, we've seen, like quite a big decline in like print um you know there's several newspapers that are folded like national ones local ones are on the decline there's a change of social media you know facebook facebook was the sort of beginning and now we're on to tiktok which i have to admit i don't know anything about because i am too old for that and is that the kind of thing you do end up feeling the pressure about that sort of thing because as, as you say it rapidly changes and there are some things where well certainly when i'm getting involved in any of that sort of stuff i think this is not for me i'm not i'm, I'm t- I, like i am too old for this i feel yeah but i guess it's it's about it's about your audience though isn't it so you know if if i'm trying to speak to people of a certain age or a certain demographic who are not going to be using tiktok then i don't need to be using tiktok but if i'm wanting to talk to the kids get down with the kids then maybe i do need to get my head around tiktok I think sometimes we get quite scared of things that aren't really that scary. But I think there are different channels. Like for, for me personally, like I think some of the social media channels lend themselves much much better to sort of individual personalities. So that's where you get that influencer marketing. Because uh, people don't really want to, not in all cases, you know, there are always anomalies and you can you can like sort of make strategies to change this. But in a lot of cases, there are people... Are the, are the easiest way to sort of engage like a single person rather than an organization because you can feel quite corporate on some channels and that's where you get your sort of influencer marketing kind of thing we've not done I've not done much of it to be honest and the sort of organization that I work for right now it's we've done a bit of it but it's not something I think that's particularly like pertinent right now 
possibly further down the line as things evolve even further. But like, for example, if you if you've seen Love Island, like recently, sorry, this is a bit of a tangent, and you have a look at all those sort of clothing brands that you get on those adverts, those like fast fashion ones, those guys will make a lot of they'll get a lot of traction from getting some sort of influencer and it could be the people who've been on love island because they've been on the telly for like six weeks um, and gained a bit of a following or it can be you know other sort of youtubers sports stars that kind of thing but that's that's a whole different like that's a whole new arena that i've not sort of dipped my toes into and i, I haven't really felt the need to because of the sort of sector that i work in sure I guess it's almost a bit like, um, in some ways, that must be a little bit like lab work. There is research and development needed for that sort of thing. You know, it, it is innovation. It's just innovation within a, a particular sphere. You're not necessarily inventing a new product. It's, well, actually, sorry, having said that, I'm sort of thinking to myself, no, it, it is a product. These social media activities can be perhaps thought of as a, a commodity. Yeah, yeah. They, like, I guess, you know, the social media stuff is you know sort of part of like an identifier of who you are as an organization like it sets your tone of voice it sets how the public view you a lot of the time and you know traditional media now is you know yes it still has its readers and you know it will have lots of eyes on it but we live in a world now that's so fast-paced like when you look at the news like you know what's happened in the news if you've been on Twitter before you've picked up a paper or before you've switched on the telly, like it's on your phone. So it's not, I'm not sure if I'd call it a product as such, but it's definitely a, a means of getting that message out and like forging a sort of identity for your organisation, for yourself, for your brand. Does it seem but, then... Sorry, big pardon. Sorry, I know I was going to say, but you know there are different there are different ways of like there was I went to um I went to like a conference um like about a year ago and there was someone there from Cosmo talking about how they have different tones of voices and they use different stories on different platforms and they reach different audiences. So for them, they would use Snapchat to reach like younger audiences. And like teens, millennials, if you want, or I, I don't know, that's quite a far-stretching one. And then on Twitter, they would be looking at slightly older people, and then on Facebook again, slightly older people. And they could use different ways of doing that. So like the Snapchat kind of stuff would be used for like the gossipy stuff that they might do, but Twitter would be there to talk about, like to start a conversation about something that they've done that's essentially like a long read. So yeah, there's there's different there's there's lots of different ways of using it. I'm like I've got to say I'm no expert in social media though, so don't quote me on any of this. No problem. Well, <laughs> I, I, what I was going to ask then was, do you think that then flows back up? Because I'm thinking of big organisations and things like uh, universities, museums, mm-hmm. things like that within the cultural sort of sector. The people at the top of that sort of organisation are necessarily or, or traditionally at least going to be older and yeah. might have grown up without mm-hmm. well without using social media at all perhaps or in, indeed any of these sort of new media channels pipelines so when you're talking about something about that builds a brand or builds an identity do you feel that is feeding into the overall strategy for these institutes i mean in an ideal circumstance i i suppose it would 
But do you feel that's really getting through or is there still a bit of a struggle to be heard? Um, do you mean from the comms team as in like... Oh, yes, yes. I, I, yeah, the comms team themselves. Yeah, who were sort of advocating for moving towards different like different platforms and using different mediums to get the message out. Is that what you mean? Yeah. Yeah. Um, it depends. You know, some of these organisations buy into it really quickly because they sort of see it. And I think... You know, once once someone's successful at it, there's a bit of, you get that buy-in. So I've worked at organisations before where I've sort of done some of the stuff for social media, mainly Twitter, and it can be seen as a little bit too tongue-in-cheek sometimes. But you know, I think for some for some organisations that really works, and for others it doesn't. It sort of depends on what your what your messaging is, and just getting that sort of tone of voice right but there can be it can be difficult to get some buy-in because some people don't understand how it works and also um i think some people still struggle to get their head around how fast paced it is sometimes you know someone asked me the other week oh i've i've written i've done like about three or four tweets this morning already is that too much and it's like well the the person the people who see your third or fourth tweet probably haven't seen your first tweet because you tend to have a timeline which is just rolling and rolling and rolling so yeah, there's still some, I think there's still a bit of education for some people, but I think it's becoming so prolific now that I think it's much easier to sort of get that buy-in. I think it's with the new platforms that it's harder to do that, you know, like your Snapchats, your, your TikToks and those kind of things. But I think, you know, Instagram, Facebook and, and Twitter are sort of, they sort of feel like they're here to stay now. I suppose another aspect of it might be that, and correct me if I'm wrong here, but you know, obviously you've got a tone that you want to present to the outside world, even if that takes a little, you know, finessing. But I suppose, or I can imagine, there might be a situation where you have to fall back on a very different tone. For instance, you know, if a crisis arises, is that something you deal with in the comms team, or would that always go through, you know, your PR team first? Well, the comms PR team is usually within the comms team. All right, sorry, so, I beg your pardon. Yeah, so it sort of depends. So basically in my role, I'm in the comms team, but I cover PR and marketing bits and social media stuff for the area that I look after in the north, which is, well, the whole of the north of England at the moment for the organisation I work for. So there is, there'll be a process depending on the sort of levels, the seriousness of, of how, you know, the of the crises. But... Usually you'd have something prepared. So if you're, I don't want to use the phrase, if you're a good comms team or a good PR team, but essentially if you are, you know, if you've worked in PR for a while, you sort of can see red flags coming. That's something that you sort of uh, attune yourself to and you sort of say, well, let's get something ready just in case something comes up. So there'll be sometimes, you know, some people just have reactive statements and then if someone asks then they've got a statement ready but some people are a bit more proactive about it and actually turn around and use those sort of, like, the things that they could be used as, as criticisms for them and use them as a way of asking for people to to do something. So I think some someone like the Arts Council I think are a really good example of how they sort of take ownership of certain things. So in the Arts uh, sector there was something about how the percentage of sort of working class people is quite low within the art sector and so they've 
you know, where's that could be seen as a criticism of them as a big funder within that sector. They've actually um, changed some of their process processes for funding or applying for funding in that you you have to answer a question about your sort of your class and socioeconomic background. So that sort of thing's quite interesting. Uh, but it's yeah, there's very different ways of sort of dealing with it, and you know sometimes sometimes the crisis can be on social, so the social media team will have to take the lead on it, or sometimes it can just be in the press, and obviously there's a PR thing, and it can be escalated to people you know quite high up if it's really really serious, um, and other times it can just sit within the PR team, it doesn't really need to be escalated. But I've worked at organisations before where you sort of do like drills and you, you sort of do like you sort of all sit around and all the people who are involved in an emergency um or a crisis and it was this like it also will sort of spread out to to people who aren't in the comms team because there'll be like literal physical things that you have to get sorted so if there was a fire or something or like a like a horrible accident then sort of they do, do sort of like desktop sort of exercises where you go through what you would do if that happened and how you would deal with it one of my favorite questions to ask is what is it that the general public or people that are not involved in your industry get wrong about your job are there any assumptions that people make or are there any sort of crazy images or you know the hollywood version of something that you you need to dispel i think there's lots just trying to think i'm definitely not out for lunch all the time with champagne and whining and dining for people to try and get stuff in the newspapers or anything like that and working with huge amounts of money i think that's the biggest myth is that i've always got a massive budget to work with and the sectors that i worked in well like arts and stuff like that essentially and heritage essentially have a budget of zilch most of the time (laughs) particularly like sort of PR things so it sort of relies on your sort of your skills in spotting stories that people would get to do and also just relationship building with people that you want to speak to particularly within PR the sort of social media stuff is slightly different again that's sort of that's sort of on judging your sort of audience a little bit and um and sort of but I guess you all like for all of these things you sort of pick out like interesting stories to tell in some sort of way I guess marketing is the bit I do the least and it's the bit I'm sort of least an expert in I guess in like the very traditional sense like I'm not going out buying adverts or any of that kind of thing and buying media space and placing adverts and things like that or you know commissioning all that kind of stuff yeah and I think the other thing is that we we make lots and lots of money particularly like if you don't work if you work in the arts sector or the culture sector that's certainly not true and i think um yeah you definitely do it for the love well that leads me quite nicely on to then quite a basic question what's the best part of the job i think it's it's definitely like just meeting interesting people so and just like finding out just just learning things so my current job we are an organization that works with hundreds and hundreds of other organizations because we are a funder so a lot of the stuff I will work on will be with groups of varying sizes who are looking to run projects that we've given like as an organization we've given the money and there are just some really really interesting stories and it's just you know we we, we cover a really 
broad range of things so we do things from museums historic houses all the kind of things that you would associate heritage with but we also do things like nature and landscapes and like oral histories and community heritage and all sorts of things so just learning new stuff which happens on a daily basis is like is my favorite it's my favorite thing about it and then like working in like previous things I've, I've sort of unlocked a love for things like astronomy and things um although that's fallen by the wayside because i don't pay as much attention to it anymore but those kind of things and women in history like amazing women in history and that kind of stuff and yeah just just learning and meeting people and just yeah just lots and lots of interesting stuff and i think the fact is that because you tend to work with lots of interesting things in the heritage sector or it's, or it's because you because you work in it because you work in that sector because you're interested in it a lot of the time like I don't think I've met that many people that aren't interested in what they do in this particular sector in the sort of comms and culture the culture kind of comms stuff there's no you're always hungry for more so no day's ever the same which is great and I suppose to some extent or maybe I'm wrong but I would presume to some extent you know if the budgets aren't huge and it's not wheeling and dealing and it's not going out to lunch and drinking champagne I presume the other people that are within that culture have consciously moved away from that or, or at least not running towards that. So I presume the, the culture of, of people doing your work, I would imagine, are quite nice, interesting people themselves or they like to be interested in other things. Yeah, yeah, I'd, I'd say so. Um, you know, it's not to say that people in the corporate world aren't interesting, obviously. And, you know, there are, there are different reasons for wanting to work in different sectors. You know, I... Personally, I worked in a job that I didn't like very much. So I thought I liked it and it sort of became quite a slog for me. And uh, this is like one of my first roles. And I was there, I was there for quite a while and it was quite fun, but it became it became too much hard work for me. And I wasn't learning anything. I was just going through the motions. And that's when I sort of stopped that's when I stopped liking it. And then when I moved on to my other jobs in museums and galleries and where I am now, like there's always something interesting that crops up and you just talk to lots of really, really nice people and really interesting people. But I think, you know, some some people from the sector have have worked in like corporate jobs, uh, like really, really sort of, like when I, when I say corporate, like really corporate jobs, like private sector type stuff. Um but, you know, some of them just, it's just because they like it. And I think, yeah, I think that's what, when you meet people within the sector, I think that's the sort of, the overriding sort of impression that you get. And not just in comms, like across the entire sector um, and what people like, curators, policy leads, you know, front of house staff in museums and things even even people in the cafes a lot of the time who are usually run by an out like an outsourced organization they just really really love what they do in that job and the sort of things that they like the settings that they work in so yeah it's a nice it's a nice place to be well it's a nice bunch of people around you well that sounds like a very good advert for it but unfortunately <laughs> I've, I've, got, I've got some bad news Okay. Oh, no. Unfortunately, you're not allowed to be uh, in comms anymore. In fact, comms oh. doesn't exist. But don't worry, you're going to you're going to be retrained. You're going to be retrained. Um, in comms? Un- no. No, no, not in comms. There's no more comms. So, unfortunately, you've got down to the training 
centre, the college, a little bit late. And so there are only a few jobs left available. Okay. Uh, you can choose either to be a librarian. Mm-hmm. That's one job. Uh, you can be a test pilot uh, for helicopters. Helicopter test pilot. That's your second option. Okay. And your third option is shepherd. A shepherd? Okay. Yeah, you can be a shepherd in... Um, the Highlands of Scotland, very far away, very isolated. So a librarian, yep. a helicopter test pilot, or a shepherd. Mm-hmm. What would but, you want to do and why? I'm sure they're all lovely jobs, uh, but I would like to be a librarian out of those three. And do you know what? I actually wanted to be a librarian when I was a kid at one point. <laughs> so, um, but I think mainly because I don't read enough. And then I'd be surrounded by books. So I'd have a really good excuse to read lots of books. And yeah, also, you get, you're still learning stuff. If I get to read lots of books, then I can still learn lots of things. And I think that's that's one of the things that I really like about my job is that I'm always learning. And even when I'm not working, I like to come home and read a book and learn some more stuff. So yeah, so librarian would be a pretty good job, I reckon. Great. Well, thank you very much, Rhiannon. Thanks for answering my questions and uh, I'll see you later. Cool. Thanks. Bye. There we go. Thanks for listening. And of course, thanks to Rhiannon for speaking to me. I think comms might be one of those things where I'd understand it better with a few more concrete examples. In the future, I might try and get Rhiannon back and go into a little bit more detail about some stuff. Or maybe someone else in the same field, but with a different angle on the subject. I'll add that to the uh, to-do list that's ever growing. That's basically it for this episode, barring my usual request to get in touch. And what do you do podcast at gmail.com is the best way to reach me. And check out and what do you do.co.uk for all the episodes. Let me know if you'd like to be interviewed yourself, or if you have an idea for an interview. Music, as always, by Gav Prentice, who's at gavprentice.co.uk. And with that, It really is the end for another episode. Take care. Speak soon. Mm